0: Today's podcast is sponsored by the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals and the Extraordinary Give, Friday, November 19th. Hear more at the conclusion of the podcast. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation.
1: Welcome to Mortification of Spin. My name is Carl Truman. I'm Professor of Biblical and Religious Studies at Grove City College in Western Pennsylvania. Usually I'm here with my colleague, sidekick, straight man, Todd Pruitt, pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia. But today he is pursuing his solo career in some uh, uh, avenue or other, and therefore I'm going to be flying solo but it's not going to be a monologue. You're not going to have to listen to me talking about how great I am for the next 30 minutes. We happen to have a special guest. and To introduce this guest, I want to tell you a little story and then then ask our guest a question. I think it was about 25 years ago when I was sitting in my office in the University of Aberdeen, a magnificent uh, medieval office next to the chapel, and uh, the phone went. and, and I ended up talking to a young man who's Uh, career in the Church of Scotland had just come to a crashing and dramatic end because of his bigoted and adamant refusal to ordain (laughs) women. Uh, And uh, this this young man wisely had turned to me as obviously the the sagest and wisest (laughs) man in Scotland for serious professional career advice. And I advised him to to direct himself to the true Presbyterian Church in Scotland, the Free Church of Scotland. And uh, what can I say? I therefore take a lot of credit for for making him the man that that he is today. So I need to introduce uh, this man of mystery. It is the Reverend David Strain, who is senior minister now of First Presbyterian Church in Jackson. Mississippi, and author of a new book about which we want to talk today, Expository Preaching. Dave, great to have you on the program.
2: It's great to be here, Carl. I would be cautious about taking too much credit. <laughs> maybe blame would be a better a better way to frame it. Uh, oh, I'm it. only taking credit for
1: the good stuff. Any problems <laughs> okay. you have with I Dave, there is a, that's his own got fault. It. Well, we maybe it. it's the Church of Scotland. Uh, yeah, right. Got it. Do you... Would you advise other young people to turn to me for, for live? <laughs> um,
2: I think I'm maybe a cautionary tale about what happens when people do. Come.
1: Yes, yeah. We used to use Paul yeah. Levy as a cautionary tale. Right. So, you know, his wife had learned the shorter <laughs> catechism. Yeah. And if you, know, if you learn the shorter catechism, you might end up marrying a guy like Paul Levy. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, it's great to have you on the program. How are things going it's in Jack's? It's going
2: well by God's grace. Uh, COVID hasn't been too. Uh, impactful on our congregation, and the Lord's had mercy on us and seems to be blessing his word, and our church is happy and growing, and we're thankful.
1: Excellent, excellent. And you're enjoying the Southern culture?
2: Yeah, the Southern people are so incredibly warm and hospitable and kind, and uh, they've really made us welcome here over the years. We love it That's here.
1: That's nice. And the fried green tomatoes might be the greatest culinary invention it, in the history of the Fried okra universe. and fried green tomatoes really yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, you can't beat it. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we want to talk to you today about uh, the new book, Expository yeah. Preaching. It's part of a new series being put out by Presbyterian Reformed. I wonder if you could just talk briefly about the the philosophy, the vision for the series before we right. come in to speak about the book.
2: Yeah. So uh, Jason Halopoulos, uh, my my good friend at University Reformed Church, who edits the series. And I have been talking for years, really, about the need for basic handbooks on church life in a reformed church. It's been our experience as pastors that many people come to our churches from a variety of other denominational backgrounds, and perhaps they're drawn by a need for a more... Engagement with scripture in preaching, or by um, a a sense of an approach to worship that is rooted in the history of the church. Um, But they have lots of questions and lots of misunderstandings about all sorts of things in the life of the church um, that, that they discover are quite different, or we come at the same issues from a different perspective because we're Reformed Christians. And there are, there are a number of shorter guides to topics out there. Some of them, uh, p and actually helpfully have produced the Basics of the Faith series. And then there's, there's the Nine Marks material, um, a little short, often very helpful um, handbooks on, on key issues in church life, but from a distinctively Baptist perspective. And there was really nothing addressing the distinctives of Reformed and Presbyterian church life that was winsome, that was for the average Joe in the pew, um, who, who likes what they're seeing, is drawn somehow to a Presbyterian church, but isn't sure why are we Why do we do it like this rather than like that? Um, wh- why do we have a prayer meeting? Why do we preach like this? Why is our liturgy, sh- liturgy shaped in this way? Why do we take the approach we do to the sacraments and and so on and so forth? And that was the basic uh, drift uh, of the series. And each of the books, one of the things that makes them distinct is that each of the books is intended to have about a third of its material simply responding to commonly asked questions that as pastors we run into in the, the respective areas that each book is covering to try and make them as accessible and as practical as we possibly can to the average the average person who's who's found their way into our congregations.
1: Yeah, and one of the things that I've I've, I've enjoyed, I, I think I have three on my shelf. I have yours, I have Jason Holopalos, and I have I think it's Guy Rashad. He's done yeah. uh, on is, Did he do his on Was it on prayer that he it's did on prayer? Yeah, on prayer. Yeah. What I liked about the three of them is they are more substantial than the. The basics of the reform faith that PNR did, which are very good, right. and they're okay. great for having on the the literature table at church and things like that. They're very, very good. The OPC, if I can get a plug for my own denomination, also produces sort of little booklets on on right. aspects of uh, you know why you should be scared of the OPC, that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, but uh, what I like about these books is they are more substantial, and yeah. and I think that that nine marks model must have been in the mind of the of the planner because. You're talking of a hundred pages or so. Right. So they're they're more substantial, but not so substantial that somebody couldn't read them on the commute to work and, and, exactly. and benefit from them. And I, the other thing I liked about them was that they're positive. There's an awful lot, particularly on the web relative to the reform world that essentially argues for the reform way of doing things on the basis that everybody else is a damnable idolater or something like that. Yep. And that's, you know, That's great for people who want to kick ideas around on the web in their small discussion groups of 15 people. Mm -hmm. But in the real world where you have ordinary Christians wandering into your church, wondering what you do, you've got to present a a beautiful and a delightful and and as you, I hate the word winsome, but I'll use it because you used it, a, a winsome view of the of the reformed faith. So I think these books are, are are excellent from that perspective. And your volume is on expository preaching. And of course yep. as Protestants we we place the proclamation <clears throat> of the word at the center of our worship. And if your church is well designed, the pulpit will be higher and above the table where the Lord's Supper is celebrated to make the point of the the importance, the priority of the word. But some of our listeners from outside, even of evangelical traditions, might might wonder, you know, what is expository preaching? What is it that makes it? You know, what is it that makes preaching expository? Right. Uh, perhaps you'd like to just give us a, a thirty second account of that, David.
2: Yeah, uh, the word expository, I think we sometimes forget, is Christianese, and it's not all that transparent to a lot of people who are coming into our churches, especially if they're. Badly taught, or have never encountered that phrase, or are not coming from a Christian background. So it's a good, it's a good question. I think, I think the simplest way to get at it is is just to say that expository preaching exposes what's in the text to our view, and it, it seeks as the as the uh, the driving uh, impetus in every sermon to help people understand the text in front of us, rather than what happens to be in the mind of the preacher that day. So that the, the, the beginning and the content and the form and structure of the message is the servant of the, of the passage of Scripture, so that we're trying to say to people, what you need most is, is what's here in black and white on the page in front of you in Matthew chapter 5, or whatever the text happens to be that day. And as the preacher, my job is to is to serve the text and to serve you, the hearer, to try and help you understand its message and to apply its um, uh, implications to your life and context in a way that's consistent with the text itself. Expository preaching exposes to view the text and its meaning and its intent, its effect and its force it, in, in faithful preaching. Which is really to say, all faithful preaching, as far as I understand the teaching of the New Testament, should be expository preaching. I'm not sure how it can really be preaching if it's not seeking to expose what God is saying in his own word. Why would I bother? No one wants to come and hear David Strain talk about what's on David Strain's mind today. Uh, it, It has to be, this is what God says, and that's why you should be here, and that's why you should listen.
1: Though it has to be said that some of the biggest churches in the United States have pastors in the pulpit who are just saying what's on their heart in that particular day rather than expanding the Scriptures. Which
2: is why why talking about expository preaching continues to be urgent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think for many of us in the Reformed Church, we sort of go, you know, we we get that already. Let's move on to something else.
1: Yeah, Yeah. In
2: my judgment, both within and outside reformed churches. Expositional preaching requires constant emphasis, and, and we can never let it become an assumption that, that we make and we take for granted. Um, yeah.
1: I think some of that, in my experience, comes from the fact that people don't understand the, and I want to come back to how important is it for congregants to understand what's going on expository preaching, but so many people think of sermons as communication of information. Which, of course, a sermon should never be less than that. I mean, a sermon that communicates no information, by definition, cannot be a sermon. But that can tilt us towards thinking of the sermon as a pedagogical exercise akin to a lecture. And I remember reading something Samuel Johnson said in the 18th century about... People have a weird idea that the best way to learn is going to a lecture. You, you should buy a book. You can sit and read a book. And I think, particularly in our very tech savvy day, this idea that one guy standing at the front and engaging in a monologue for 20, 25, 30, 35, if you mark Deva, 60 minutes <laughs> is, is, is an effective way of teaching. A lot of people are very skeptical about that. But of course, preaching isn't just communication of information. As you say, it's, it's exposing the intention of God in his revelation, as it applies, as it confronts us as individuals. Mm. The prophet, I think, rather than the teacher, is the analog for the modern-day preacher. Would you Would you agree with that? I know you agree with that, Dave, but I'm giving you a chance to sort yeah. of uh, Thanks.
2: pick up uh, on absolutely. it. Absolutely, yeah. I, it, preaching always must contain teaching. But preaching is always more than teaching. It's more than pedagogy. Um, and, and there are effective mechanisms for communicating information that are, that if it was just about finding the most efficient method for learning the data, then, then preaching is not, is you know, what, what's the point? Let's quit. We we don't need any more preachers. If that's what it was about, there are, there are much in our tech savvy age, as you put it, there's, there are many more, uh, Uh, effective ways of delivering information out there. But the Bible exhorts us to preach and models what preaching looks like. And so the question is not should we preach, but what is it about preaching that makes it so very important? And as I read the scriptures and as I think about the way the church has reflected on preaching in history, especially the Reformation Church and the post-reformation church preaching when it when it says what God says, God is saying it in the preaching of the word, the second Helvetic confession, the preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God. That's not saying somehow that the this fallible preacher in the pulpit has been endowed with ex cathedra authority so that whatever he says, now binds everyone's conscience in some automatic fashion. Really, what it's saying is, insofar as the preacher is faithful to the text in explaining what the text means and says and all its implications, uh, insofar as he is faithful to the text, God Himself speaks through the preacher His own word with force and authority. You're right; there is a prophetic component to that, so that I want I want the congregation to feel. God is talking. And so there's a there's a a, an atmosphere of holiness and gravity and transcendence that helps us hang upon the ministry of the word with an eagerness, believing that there's a a divine encounter taking place. We're meeting the exalted Christ exercising his prophetic ministry through the Spirit as the word is proclaimed. And that's actually, when you, when you think of it like that, when you come to preaching like that, both for the preacher and the hearer, it becomes an electric thing. Never a dull act of uh, sort of data downloading, how, how inefficient a mechanism preaching is for that. But if Christ is speaking, that changes everything.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and, in, and the Second Helvetic Convention, the, the Latin is very strong. The Latin, it translates really as um, the word of God when correctly preached is the very word of God itself. It's very, very strong there. And that's always struck me. And I've, I'm a big fan of P.T. Forsyth's book, yeah. uh, Positive Preaching of the Modern Mind, which can, you know, P.T. Forsyth is a 19th century quasi-liberal in some ways. His view of scripture is not the Westminster Confessions view of scripture. Right. But on that confrontational aspect of preaching if we we put it this way where the real presence of god is mediated by the preaching of the word i think that is a powerful important lesson and Mm -hmm. i think it has aesthetic implications as well and that when you get up into the pulpit as a minister if from the moment you open your mouth it's not clear to the congregation that what they're about to hear is the most important thing they're going to hear all week you're not preaching right yeah that's that now that may look different for different people but that level of serious conviction has to come through very early on in a sermon, I yeah. think. Here's a couple of questions, Dave, I want to ask you just to get your opinion on, really. And I know an, an opinions vary on this and legitimately vary on these things. But mm-hmm. uh, what about uh, thematic sermons and sermon series? In our world, it's very common. And I, would, I think the default in my experience is preach through a book of the Bible. Right. You know, take a whole book of the Bible and work through it, and that has the advantage of, yeah. You know, when I preach through Judges, I really don't want to preach on Judges 19, but I'm going to have to do it when I hit Judges 19. Uh, it has the advantage of taming the preacher in some way or disciplining the preacher to say things mm-hmm. he may not wish to say. But is there a place for thematic sermons or even thematic sermon series? Given the fact that a lot of people today. Don't have a grasp of the Bible as a whole. And it's hard to get that when you're just grinding through one book after another. What do you think?
2: Yeah, well, there's a number of things to say. One of them is there's things to say to people on, on one side of the ditch and things to say to people on the other side of the ditch. On one side of the ditch, there are those who um, may be coming straight out of seminary, think expositional preaching is, is only Working through big chunks of the Bible, whole Bible books, and it is an act of uh, scholarship. Where where I I in the pulpit, very earnest, very serious. I, I want to tell people everything that I know about the text, and 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 so week after week, they're ploughing through huge amounts of of learned information. Um, and that's a, that's a fairly common rookie mistake, the, the sort of running commentary or even a well-crafted sermon. But it's, it's just it's, it's too information heavy and it equates exposition with always going verse by verse through whole books of the Bible. And it can't be anything else. And you're not being faithful if you don't. I think that's a problem. And instead of helping people love the scriptures, it can sometimes have the opposite effect. Um, And you can weary your people by laboring too long, going far too slowly, giving them way too much, very difficult material. And instead of helping someone get excited about the message of Jeremiah, which is not an easy book to preach through because it's, it's largely unrelenting in its oracles of judgment. Instead of helping them grasp the book of Jeremiah with enthusiasm, you turn them off completely. Um, on the other hand, the other extreme, there are those who who bounce from topic to topic and stitch together a message that the, the controlling idea is the theme that they have chosen, and that is the organizing principle for their message, and they then bring verses in as support and evidence for the argument that they've constructed. Um, and I, I don't think either approach to preaching is helpful, but I do think you can do expositional preaching that is thematic. In fact, I would argue that all preaching, whether it's an evangelistic message, um, an occasional sermon, you've been invited to go to someone's church as a, as a preacher, uh, a thematic series on I don't know, guidance or prayer or the Holy Spirit, um, they should always take a text or sometimes even more than one text and expound what's in the text to show that the teaching that you are bringing to the people on that topic isn't something they need to be suspicious of because it's been derived from a book that you read or a set of ideas that you've constructed out of whole cloth, but it clearly and, and manifestly comes from this text or group of texts. And so even topical preaching should be expository, though it may not be a systematic consecutive exposition through large parts of the text. And as a pastor, and this is, an, this is I think, a, one of the most overlooked and neglected parts of the discussion about expositional preaching, which focuses far too much on the science and the craft of preaching, the how of preaching. Um, we, We are pastors in the pulpit, and preaching is an act of pastoral care. My calling is not simply to go on flights of rhetoric as I rhapsodize over whatever I found in my study as I've worked through this part of Matthew's Gospel but it's constantly to think, how can I help the sheep that the Lord has entrusted to my care get the nourishment that they need from this part of Matthew's gospel? Knowing them as I do, knowing their strengths and weaknesses, their liabilities, their dangers, their besetting sins, their sorrows and struggles, how how can I pastor them with God's word? And sometimes as as a shepherd then, You need to stop your consecutive exposition through Leviticus because you're aware of the capacities of your people and they need a break. And sometimes taking six weeks to address prayer, say, maybe just exactly what they need or suffering or um, what happens when you die, doing three or four sermons on, on death, and, and sort of the last things in personal eschatology could be incredibly pastorally helpful. And so a good pastor keeps that tool in his tool bag ready to use when, when necessary.
1: That's a great answer. One of the things that struck me about the book, uh, David, is this, it, it, you know, reading this as somebody who's done, I suppose, not as much preaching as you, but a fair, you know, as pastor for a few yeah. years, I've done a fair bit of preaching over the years was, there wasn't, there wasn't much in the book that I didn't know already. It was nicely, right. winsomely, uh, as you would say, expressed, uh, put together. <laughs> well, You've said
2: so it 100% I, more than I've said it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, I, I've caught the bug. But, uh, yeah, I need to go away and repent. Uh, <laughs> so I've always been struck by the little book that Christopher Ash did, Listen Up, yeah. I think was the yeah, title. It's a, a great bit. You know, It's a little booklet. It's one of the few things I've ever read. For congregants to read really about preaching, because if I would see the the burden on the preachers being as soon as you get up in the pulpit, as soon as you open your mouth, you need to communicate to your people that what they're about to hear is the most important thing they're going to hear all week. Then I think the congregants should go to church with the attitude that as soon as my minister stands up in the pulpit and opens his mouth, what I'm about to hear is the most important thing I'm going to hear all week. The, this book strikes me as a book that I think pastors can certainly read it with profit. But I almost wonder if the people who read it with most profit are actually not those who preach, but those who listen to preaching because it will give them a better handle of what preaching is and, and what they should expect from it. Well, how would you respond to, to that well, as a thought? Well, I, that's exactly right. I did not write the book for preachers. I, I, I hope that a preacher will be
2: encouraged and affirmed in what they're already doing and emboldened to keep preaching and to do so faithfully. Of course, I hope that. I certainly was just undergoing the work of writing it. It was helpful to me. And like you, there's nothing in there that's new for a well-taught preacher, someone who's gone to seminary. There's nothing in there that's new. But Carl, there's, I mean, there's a thousand books on how to preach for preachers, other than Chris Ash's book, Listen Up, that little, I mean it's a pamphlet of mm. what is it, 15, 20 pages. Yeah. Yeah. It's is tremendously helpful, but it's very brief. I can't think of another book-length treatment of, of how do I help my people understand what preaching is and profit from it as they listen to it. Well, if we really believe as reformed Christians that that the act of preaching is the center and the high point of the liturgy, that this is the moment, as it were, where Christ, as prophet, priest, and king, you know, Calvin speaks about Mm. Christ ruling his church by the royal scepter of his word, and and Christ speaking prophetically through his his word and spirit to his people, and Christ as a priest applying to us the benefits of his redeeming work through the gospel that's being proclaimed, if that's what's happening in preaching, then surely we should do more to equip our congregations to understand that and, and to really get the most out of it. There's, there's two parts of, duty, of our duty here. There's certainly the duty of the preacher, and that's where most of the emphasis maybe rightly falls. We want the preacher to be well-equipped and well-trained. We want him to understand the text and know his people and shepherd them well with the preaching of the word. We want them to be rhetorically and um, uh, temperamentally well-suited and, and gifted in the preaching task, yes. But there's another side. There's there's also the duty that falls on the hearer. As I listen to preaching, it's incumbent upon me to ensure that I profit from the word, that it that I am not a hearer only, but a doer also, that I take. Heed how I hear, Um, and and so those duties compel me to come to preaching with a certain set of disciplines in mind, and and a certain set of commitments that I'm that I've already got bolted in place. That I fear many of the average hearers that attend on a Sunday in most of our churches are largely unaware of, and and so the book is. I wrote the book for the church members at First Presbyterian Church, not for preachers, but for the average listener.
1: Well, it's been great having you on the, the show today, David, and I do want to, first of all, I want to say thank you so much for speaking with such enthusiasm about the preaching task. Uh, it's great to hear a professional preacher who still loves what he does that's uh, that's an infectious thing and secondly to thank you for this book uh, it's expository preaching it's foreword is by kevin de young it's part of this blessings of the faith series which is seeking to uh, as dave said earlier put into the hands of reform lay people and and lay people who are just interested in what it means to be reformed concise uh, winsome Friendly uh, accounts of serious and important aspects of the reform phase. So, thank you so much for that, Dave. And uh, reinforce uh, your conclusion there. This is a book for everyone to read. Perhaps particularly for congregants who mm. want to know, you know, what frame should I bring to bear in my mind when I go and sit under the preaching of the Word each week. What should I be expecting from the preaching of the Word? What should I be expecting it to do? How should I be responding to it? So mm-hmm. thank you for this great little book, Dave. And hey, hey. Uh, if any of our listeners are interested in uh, getting a copy without actually providing David with any royalties, <laughs> uh, you can go to our website, modificationofspin.org and uh, enter for a chance to win. A copy there while you're visiting our website, please, if the spirit leads you winsomely to make a donation, then please feel free to make a donation to the Alliance. Uh, If you felt that the quality of the program has improved massively due to the absence of my co-host and straight man, (laughs) Todd Pruitt don't hesitate to write into bob brady and tell him so uh, otherwise all that remains for me now is to thank dave once again for being our guest today to thank you for listening and to say we look forward to being with you on the program next time
0: we got married in a field.
1: You know, my mic is not plugged in. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) This is like the 500th episode and I still forget to plug my mic How long have you been doing this, Carl? (laughs) Is that working better? Excellent. Okay. I worry that I've done that a few times and not realized. So, well, well caught.
0: On Friday, November 19th, the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals is participating in the Lancaster County PA Community Foundation's Extraordinary Give. For 24 hours only, all gifts received through extragive.org will be stretched by the Foundation sponsors. It's a great way to support the ministry and have a little extra added to your gift. When you support the Alliance, you make a global impact, sharing the gospel as you encourage and equip the church around the world through Reformed events, publishing, broadcasts, and podcasts. Now more than ever, people everywhere need the hope found in the life-changing message of the gospel, and your support makes it all happen. Through the years, listeners like you have helped make the Extra Give a success, and the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals has grown with your support. Please prayerfully consider making a special gift on November 19th. Visit Alliancenet.org extra give for more information. That's Alliancenet.org extra give.